0: Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report and uh, the ABC's finance guy, and that is... James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian
1: Financial Review.
0: And we are the, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. Uh, well, James, it's now Thursday. We're four days past the Albanese gaffe. <laughs>
1: yes. What did you think? Uh, uh, my, my immediate response was to, was to think sort of uh, another silly gotcha moment, but the more I thought about it, those were two numbers that you really should have it at your, off the top of your head, or at least be in the ballpark, you know. Around, unemployment's around 4%. I'm sure he would have got away with that. The cash rate's around 10 basis points, you know. I think they're – I mean, it's not it's not fatal or anything, but they are numbers that Could he should have fatal. known. I mean,
0: he's, uh, he's he's got to
1: come back from that. Yeah, but I think, you know, we've sort of moved on. Um, we've had – Adam Bant deliver a pretty good response to an attempted yeah, at gotcha. Was,
0: well, Yeah, I know, but still. Um, um, but, yeah. 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 No, I, I wrote this morning in the New Daily that uh, uh, Albanese has probably been spending the last three nights in his hotel room staring at the ABS website <laughs> <Yes>. memorising economic <laughs> statistics. Yeah, yeah. So he becomes a walking encyclopedia of them. He's probably
1: toggling between the ABS and the RBA's uh, statement of monetary <laughs> policy. and <laughs> But, yeah. Um, it, I mean, it, it, I think it's uh, living up to expectations of the campaign so far. It's the smallest of small targets. We're, we're not seeing anything.
0: Peter, Peter Cridlin had an interesting column in The Australian this morning in which he said that the biggest danger for Albanese now is the loss of his confidence. Yeah, OK. Um, yep. And that really, the, the election campaigns are obviously high pressure. Yes. Um, and that there's, you know, 50 or more workers behind each leader. Yeah, yeah. And... She was just saying, and obviously from personal experience, that uh, that everybody kind of lives off uh, the confidence of the leader. Yeah. And when the leader's up, the energy she says is palpable through the team. Right. And when the leader's not up and down, everyone's just uh, you know in a fog.
1: Yeah. yeah so that's it's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. And so thought of it like that. But it's a good point. Like, um, you know, he would. <laughs> They'd all be kicking themselves, saying, "Who was supposed to make sure he was across these numbers?" That's right. Um, and it's the not, answer is Albanese was should have been sure, but
0: him. it's not just him. No, That's of course, thing.
1: yeah, yeah. You know, the, there's his teams. I mean, I was watching something this morning. He's in Cessnock talking about the, you know, you know, new, and the coalitions promised money for the Newcastle airport, and he was asked, oh, what are you?" Well, will you match it and he said oh yeah we've done a lot of work on the Newcastle airport there's this problem this problem so the sort of amount of facts you have to be able to recall around the country is extraordinary and I guess like everyone the brain's got so much room for so much stuff yeah I often thought an
0: election campaign is such a uh, an intense sport yeah yeah you know really it's got uh, football's got nothing on it
1: no no to, and uh, and for weeks is this and, one six weeks and as you say you know uh, it's a it's a really good point from Peter Credell I hadn't thought of it like that but you, you are starting every day you know are you how are you feeling it's like when you come onto the field after the quarter time like how are you feeling how, how are we going to make this work today and yeah um anyway it's uh but it but it is it is notably small targets still i mean we haven't had any sort of major policy announcement and, and
0: i so. actually think you know, without going on too much about the election, I, mm. I actually think what we learnt this week is that it's not a done deal, this election. Yep, yep. That that it, that although it is the Labor Party's to lose, you know, Morrison could easily win this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about confidence. You could see his eyes light up yeah. at the start of the week, couldn't you? You could really feel That's that right. energy. So there,
0: there, would have, there would have been just this energy flow through the whole uh, coalition team. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. as a result of that. Very interesting. Yeah, long way to go. Long way to go. Now,
1: um, uh, uh, inflation came out this week in the US, 8.5%. Yeah, and in the UK, I think it was 7.8%. Yeah. So And that follows Germany's running at over 8%. I mean, it, some of these numbers are crazy, aren't well, they?
0: They're, well, they're highest since early 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, you know, which, which is called the great inflation.
1: Yeah. Is it clear where... Central banks are just way, way behind the curve, or, or, or do you still feel they can engineer the soft landing and get out of that?
0: I think the thing to remember, and this 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 will come up in in our questions as well. Um, the thing to remember, I reckon, is that the central banks, including Australia's, are deliberately behind the curve. They said yep. they were going to be behind the curve. Yeah, yep. they've That's been saying true. it for ages. Yep. Um, And what they mean is that they want to see inflation happen before they respond. Yes. So in the past, all the times in the past, basically since Volcker in 1981, um, they've tried to preempt inflation. Yeah. And the way they've done that is by watching unemployment. And as soon as unemployment gets to a certain level, no matter what inflation's doing, they whack interest rates up. Yeah. So what Phil Lowe said, um, I can't remember exactly when he said it, but what he said was... Let's see how – let's see we, – we've gotten a historic opportunity. Yeah, see? that's
1: exactly what he said, yeah.
0: We've got a historic opportunity. Let's see how far we can get unemployment down yeah. this time before we get inflation. Yeah. And I think that's – I think we need to bear that in mind. That's what he said. That's what they're doing. They're actually seeing how far they can get unemployment down. Yes. And I, and I think the Fed and the ECB and everyone's doing the same. much the same thing. Well, the Fed
1: – I mean, the Fed came in with a much more sort of – a quality-focused, jobs-focused view of the world. Hmm. Um, but, I, I mean, the, lang- the change in language from some of the Fed members is just extraordinary in the last few well, weeks. Well, this
0: is Lale Brainard, who uh, is known
1: as a dove. Yeah. And she's is hawk.
0: She's, she's, dove. Gone, she's,
1: gone, she's gone hawk. I mean, there was a comment she made last week saying inflation's as bad as being unemployed. Which you know, when she's been so strong, yeah, when she's been so strong on um, uh, employment and the impact of unemployment, it's quite an extraordinary turnaround. I mean, is there a chance we get a seventy-five point basis point hike from the Fed next month? Well, certainly be fifty. Yeah, be fifty. But is seventy-five on the table? It's got to be, doesn't it? Sure. And and can you can you do this without crashing the economy?
0: Well the market's expecting a rate hike at every Fed meeting for the rest of this year yeah, right so yeah. six or seven hikes in a row yes. right and a couple and the first two 0.5%. Uh, That's what the market expectation is. Yeah yeah. And so I think the, the by the time you get 12 months down the track you have got to wonder is the economy in strife? Yeah. You do have to wonder that. Well
1: it almost they almost have to gently crash the economy if they can. They've got to take the heat out somewhere. So, it's you know, it's just a matter of degrees, isn't it? Such a fine balancing act. Yes.
0: I, well, I, I, yeah, and I think the some of the markets, if you look at the yield curve between uh, the two-year bond rate and yep. the 10-year bond rate, yep. which went uh, negative, I think we talked about this a couple just weeks briefly, ago. Just yeah, yeah. Briefly went negative, and basically it flattens. But if there's an inversion of the yield curve as occurred, that means the market is predicting... A Fed mistake. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, I think the Fed mistake is on the cards. Yeah. And yeah. a mistake means a recession.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to feel I'm not, like I'm not quite sure how they get out of it, but let's see.
0: And the other wild card going on at the moment globally is the China lockdowns,
1: which Amazing. are incredible. Incre- you know? Some of the vision that we've seen on the news services of the empty China, empty Shanghai uh, highways, motorways, just amazing, I know. Just absolutely astounding. But they've got fewer cases than we do. Yeah, yeah. But I it mean, comes back to this point you've raised previously. They got no good vaccines, no good vaccines. That's it, and they're in trouble. So I don't know where it ends. I mean, they're, they're, China's got this GDP target of five point five percent for the year. It must be just slipping away. Oh, totally. Day by day. Well, they're, they're locking down. Show how it's not just Shanghai now. They're locking down
0: in, uh, other cities. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of the lockdowns are spreading around the country.
1: And, and the lockdowns this time are a bigger proportion of GDP than they were have been in the past.
0: Yeah. So this is going to, this is really going to impact
1: the global economy, not yep. just China's. Yep. Yep. So yeah. And you're seeing it in commodity prices. The oil prices come down because they know China demand is going to be softer. So it's fascinating to see where this ends, but oh, I don't know. It's um, where will it end, James? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's just it's another thing for investors and markets to think about. So you wanted to talk about after pay? I uh, they're losing a lot of money. Oh well, yeah, their losses are mounting. Um, it's just interesting. I think the. Um, I, I remember the day that the sort of deal got done, $38 billion, and, and the headline of my column was, you know, a timely triumph. And I, I still sort of think that was right. You know, they it was the perfect time to sell. Um, the question is, what is what is Square, or Block as it's called, bought? Um, is that starting to deteriorate? Uh, yeah, we're also, uh, everyone who was in Afterpay are now in Block. Yes. So yes. it's not as if they got cash and ran away. No, that's true. That's true. You know, block does have a lot of other strings to its bow, though. So that's, um, you know, that's yeah. But afterpay
0: is going to bring it down. <laughs> well, I don't think they're going to bring it down. down.
1: No, okay. no, I'm not saying that. No, no.
0: But still, it's it's, uh, you it, know, it's the whole buy now pay later business is proving challenging, isn't, isn't it? very I mean, challenging. Yeah, all the others, Zip and Cezil and uh, the rest of them, their their
1: their shares are down eighty percent, ninety percent. Yeah, Afterpay's in the best position because it's got the strongest brand and the strongest systems and the best growth. So you want, that's the position you want to be in. But if but the, the bigger question is, do you want to be in buy now pay later? over the next little while. Yeah, oh. what do
0: you reckon happened to it? What, I mean, everyone thought a buy now, pay later was going to be a Oversupply, huge thing. I think. No, but, but uh, are people using it to the extent that everyone thought? Leaving aside the number of companies trying to do it, do, has it turned out to be less of a thing than everyone thought it would
1: be? I don't think so. No, I think it's still pretty, the numbers are pretty solid as a cumulative total, but there's just so many fingers in the pie trying to um, trying to get customers and as they get try to get customers they go for the less credit worthy customers. As they go for those their losses mount and their, their losses their their credit losses mount and, and their general losses mount. So I think it's just stretching for the so much competition, stretching the, for the, the the barriers to entry were too low. Well yeah as as John Shapiro great uh, journalist at the Fin says the barriers to entry for lending money are always low, and he was right. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And the only other thing I want to talk about. Um, yeah, speaking of supply and demand, supply and demand. So uh, I mentioned last week with Stephen Mayne that um, I was uh, getting on the medicinal cannabis bandwagon. So I just wanted to report back yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been. Um, I had a, a consult, consultation with a nurse. Uh, the, the company c- uh, that's sort of triaging it, for, for me anyway, is Tet, called Tetra Health. Right. So what happens is you, you have a phone consultation with a nurse who sort of triages you before you see a doctor, a specialist doctor yep. who they employ. Who knows about medicinal cannabis, right? So anyway, I had the thing with the nurse, told her what the problem was, which is my knees. She said, oh, well, what we need to give you is um, THC oil. Right. And CBD oil. Okay. Um, and you take four drops of the oil in the morning, uh, four drops of THC at night. This is the nurse, right? Yeah. And then uh, two, two two lots of CBD oil during the day. Okay. And it goes under your tongue. Right. So then I had to see the doctor. Who basically said the same thing. Yes, okay. Okay. And um, I've now ordered the – I haven't started taking it yet because it wasn't in. The the chemist had to get it in. Right. Um, But what I mentioned is that the chemist is selling a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I heard that it was half their revenue. They've sort of said, oh, it's not quite half, but um, it's still a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it's expensive, right? So I've got to get um, three bottles of THC oil. Right. THC is – I can't remember what it stands for, but it's the active ingredient in marijuana that makes you high, right? Yep, yep. CBD is cannabidol, which is not uh, psychoactive. Yep. The THC you have at night because it sends you to sleep. Right. Um, But if you have too much of it, it gives you the munchies. Okay. And... (laughs) Yeah, there's a fine... And if you have too much of it also, you not only get the munchies, but everything's hysterically funny.
1: Right. Maybe you should have some before this podcast. <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, anyway, so i have got to buy three bottles of each. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing is going to cost me 1100 bucks. Wow, and how long is that likely to last you, do you sense? Quite a while. Okay. But, but the thing is, they say, well, um, put four drops under your tongue which is point one of a milligram, and if that doesn't work, do eight drops. Okay. And if that doesn't work, do twelve drops. Right. And then that's it. Okay. So I just thought I'd yeah. I mean, cause, because the, I mean, medicinal cannabis is a is a growing thing, right? Yes. Yes. The Australian TGA has uh, approved it. Yep. Uh, although it's it's pretty, I mean, apparently. My application for medicinal cannabis actually individually goes to the TGA for them to approve. As in your personal? Yeah. Wow. So I have to fill in a form okay. saying I've got to do it. I want to do it, and and it goes to the TGA, and it comes they, and they approve it. Wow, that is a
1: cumbersome process.
0: <laughs> so it is it's very cumbersome, but you know it seems to be, like and there's
1: lots of it going on. I, I know you haven't got your hands on the bottles yet, but do you know where they've been manufactured?
0: Uh, uh, I think here, okay. Um, as to whether whether I think uh, uh, I think it's being grown here and manufactured here. Yeah, right. Um, it's interesting that one of the one of the suppliers of one of the of the I think it's the THC one is Althea, which is a listed ASX company. Yep. Uh, but there's a bunch of companies. I mean, this is I suppose one of the points about all this is that there are a huge number of companies now. Yeah, trying yeah. to get into this is a bit like pay, buy now, pay later. Yes, it's you know it's seen as a huge coming thing. Barriers to entry are fairly low, because, well, I think it's easy to grow. Yes, and yep. also a lot of companies are just buying it off the growers and
1: grows like a weed, Alan. It does. <laughs> <laughs> grows quite well in your in your uh, in your roof cavity. <laughs> <laughs> you got some lights. <laughs> well, we'll. Uh, I don't think the TGA approves that, Alan. So we'll stick to the. But um, it'll be, I'm fascinated to know how it's sort of therapeutic. Uh, it would be great to hear whether well,
0: it's, it helps. It's a, yeah, well, I'll, I'll report back yeah. on that. But the, um, it's, it's meant f- mainly for pain, chronic pain. The, the doctor told me that about a third of the people who take it say that it's a miracle. Okay. That, you know, it's basically fixed them entirely. A third wow. of the people say uh, it doesn't do a thing. right.
1: And another third say, yeah, bit of a yeah, help, bit of, bit of a help, yeah. So uh, I don't know. It'd be fascinating to know. Just thinking through your, um, your your chemist example, like, what's the is the usage highest in aged care or is it, what, you know, what sort of patients are taking it? I'm, I'm not not asking you for the answer, but it's I don't know the interesting answer, I question.
0: I, I th- yeah, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know. I, don't, yeah. I think I do think it's older people with pain. Yes. Yes. Um,
1: Oh well, it's it, yeah, it's a real life experiment, so It'll be very uh, very interesting. So let's do our questions, and uh, to start with, yes, we have a question that was dropped off at the cafe. How good, it's on paper. Um, do you have to pay the short straw for having a mailing <laughs> mailing drop off now? PO box? I think the occasional one would be okay, <laughs> but if
0: it's got a bit too much, they'd probably say, "Hang on," but uh, just make sure you yeah, buy a coffee somebody, if you drop a so note off, Seb. Seb dropped the question off. G'day, Seb. Thanks for that. We're at the Short Straw Cafe in Hawthorne. And um, uh, he says, Dear Alan and James, first-time questioner and visitor to the Short Straw this week. Any ideas on why Australia has not raised the cash rate yet? With unemployment low and reports of increased savings in households, it seems Australians would be well-equipped to start curbing the rising fuel and grocery costs. Save the po- Love the podcast, Seb. Um... So we kind of touched on this before, Seb, that uh, the reason that the RBA has not raised the cash rate yet yet is because it wants to see how far it can get unemployment down before inflation starts up. Uh, And we haven't really had much inflation in Australia yet. I think the inflation rate here is 2.3%. Yeah, nothing like they've seen in the US. Not yet. Um, But I think there's an expectation that inflation is going to go above the... um, uh, the target range of two to three percent will go above three percent next time the inflation comes out for the march for March quarter. is it March quarter or March? Anyway, it'll be march um, quarter yeah. won't be long.
1: Yes. June seems to be the main bet for the, the first rise. Uh, Josh has a question regarding who pays tax on a dividend inside Super. For example, outside of Super, I'm a TCL shareholder that's transurban, and I will need to pay tax on the dividend I receive. What I wonder is, who pay, who's paying tax on the dividend I will receive inside Super, which is also invested in the same company? So I, am I the individual taxed, or is the Superfund taxed, or is someone else taxed?
0: I can assure you, Josh, that you are paying the tax. Yes, you are. Um, somehow, some... So. Oh, I did look up this one.
1: Yeah, go on. So uh, the, the, the Superfund pays the tax on uh, dividend streams if you're in the accumulation phase. So if you don't have a transition to retirement account, which is what you get when you're retired, then you will pay, the Superfund pays tax on that at 15%. Um, so it's a concessional rate. And then if you get dividends when you do have a transition to retirement fund account, zero tax is paid. Sure, but
0: the, the 15% taxing and accumulation is essentially coming out of your account. Exactly. It I is mean, you're That's paying correct. It.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, you're so paying. It's for someone it. else, Absolutely, it. yes. But I'm just uh, explaining the, the sort of mechanic there.
0: Yep. Lachlan says Peter Martin wrote an article this week saying that 74% of 50 top economists surveyed nominated climate and the environment as the most important issue for the incoming government and the most important for the election. Often in the election campaign, it appears any discussion of economic management really means short-term economic management. Why is this allowed to happen? Love the podcast. Looking forward to a name change, though. I think it's time you moved on. No, 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 no. We're going to... I think we're keeping it at the Money
1: Cafe, aren't we? This is your name, Alan. Sure, but, you know, it'll do. Absolutely. Um, it's a good question, Lachlan asks. Um... I don't know why it's allowed to happen, but, uh, I mean, it happens because most of us are short-term beasts and it's hard to look much further than the next week, month or, and year. Um, but, yes, I mean, climate I- is going to be an issue in this campaign, although how big an issue is a question. We haven't seen very much in the first week on climate. Um,
0: no. I where... think it's very interesting. And the, the headline on my New Daily piece this morning was which I wrote, <laughs> it's, it's not the economy, stupid, it's climate change. And the reason I wrote that is because climate change is what's on everyone's mind. Yes. But it's not part of the campaign because neither party has a decent policy. So they don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. Right. And so they won't talk about it. So it won't be part of the campaign. But I do think a lot of people, possibly most people, are going to vote accordingly accordingly. Yeah. Uh, yeah which is why why the climate change independence in a lot of coalition seats are going to do well yeah including this particular seat in Hawthorne
1: <laughs> yes well we've got twenty dollars riding on the outcome there um, and I mean if you're in New South Wales and you've lived through the most I mean, you had a graph on the news last night of the the rainfall in New South Wales like, it's pretty hard to separate yourself from thinking about climate change in some way. Exactly, that's the point. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, even the, so, the floods that have occurred this year—it's not just affecting those who are in them. Yeah, but everyone in the country has
1: seen the news, the, watch, watching what's going on. Or I've been to the supermarket and paid, yeah. and seen fresh food prices.
0: So, yeah, I mean, how can you avoid climate change? Yeah, it's it's right in front of us.
1: Elliot asks: Historically, how does a change of government affect the stock market?
0: Uh, Short-term, not at all. Yeah. Longer-term, can do, absolutely.
1: Yeah, not much in Australia. Um, And the short-term impacts are usually very uh, stock-specific policy-related. So if, you know, one party's got a very deliberate policy in an area, then that might help a stock, but the overall impact's going to be pretty muted, I would have thought. Yeah. Lockman...
0: Yep, Lachlan. Oh, Lachlan again was again. The same Lachlan, it might be. In your opinion, what do you both think is the optimum population growth rate for Australia? That's a really hard question. Uh, so let's think about this. The uh, the birth rate in Australia is about 300,000 a year. Yep. About 150,000, 160,000 people die every year. Yeah. So the net increase is around about 140,000, 150,000. Yeah. Uh, naturally. Yes, which is around about um, 1.2, no, 0.6, yeah, 0.6, 0.6, 0.6% of yeah. the population, right? Yeah. And I reckon optimum population growth is about double that. Yeah. I'll, so 1.2, 1.3% per year. Yeah. With about 150,000 uh, migrants.
1: Yes, yeah. My, my only other way of thinking of it, and this might be wrong, so I'm just, but if the if the sort of targeted un- inflation rates two to three percent, does the population need to grow somewhere between then to to sort of satisfy um, economic growth and get you know is that around? Well, I think it's, is that a proxy? It, it,
0: no, well it is. Yeah, I, well to some extent, uh, it's all, it's all about uh, the GDP growth is yeah. all about population. It has been for some time. I mean. Because we've um, not had much uh, productivity growth, hmm. so productivity growth has been declining, and um, you know, economic growth is largely a function of uh, population and productivity.
1: Yeah. If we had a period of, you know, we've had a pandemic. If we had a period of catch up where we ran population growth at five percent. Would that help the economy? I don't know. I'm, I'm not. Well, I'm certainly it would help the economy, but it'd be. It exacerbates some other pressures like housing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So, it is, I mean, Lachlan right to call it the optimum. When yeah. You don't want too much, but you don't want too little. You yeah. want to have, you know, a, a certain amount of population growth from, from immigration. Apart from anything else, you need to refresh
1: your gene pool in yeah. the country. You yeah. need to get, to
0: get fresh people
1: in with different ways of thinking. Yep. It's like inflation, though. There's a Goldilocks level that yeah, yeah, like- you want to hit. Lambert, I'm living in South Africa. Welcome, Lambert, to the uh, Australian podcast scene and recently opened an Australian investment account. been following your show and really enjoying it so far. However, I'm struggling to get to grips with, t- with the Australian market. Do you have any advice on the best places to find information on Australian equities? Apart from company websites, of course. For example, websites providing company analysis, company news and general Australian economic news. And Lambert says he's really looking forward to the rugby championship. The Box are going to smash the Wallabies and the All Blacks. Uh, we'll take that as a comment. Lambert, um, you want to start, Alan? On the... Oh well,
0: uh, obviously I'm going to promote InvestSmart, which is the owner of Eureka Report, which has a huge amount of uh, stock uh, information, a lot of resources, a lot of um, uh, a lot of free content. I mean, Eureka Report is subscription only, but on the Eure- InvestSmart website there's quite a lot of free content of uh, 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 research on shares yep, and so on. There's also a, another uh, subscription product called Intelligent Investor. So Eureka Report Intelligent Investor can be bought as a bundle, which is quite cost-effective. It uh, gives you tremendous amount of stuff. And you're going to talk about...
1: Oh, I'm going to f- say uh, Australian Financial Review, AFR.com. Um, but I reckon we're blessed in Australia with really good business media. And, you know, if you dig around enough, land, but you'll find a fair bit of free stuff, um, even news.com.au, Yahoo, Yahoo yeah. Finance, there's, that's, there's, that's, a, there's a good deal of stuff around. And there's a free site
0: called Livewire Markets, which is yep. um, basically they repubble, they publish stuff uh, said or put up by, um, by fund managers. Yep. So it's, that's paid for by the fund managers. So it's free to read. It's, quite, it's actually quite good. Good company analysis.
1: And and I would also say ASX.com also has some good like resources to get you to grips with the Australian market and a fair bit of content, actually. So yeah, it does. Worth checking there. Yeah.
0: Uh, Gareth says, Stephen reckons borrowing $60 billion to buy the toll roads would be a good move. How good would it be to borrow another $60 billion each year for the next six years and establish a social housing building program across the country require builders to build steadily and employ apprentices and provide training over the six years to avoid bank crash. Builders keep half of them in regional areas. Some of the old houses, some of the houses could replace existing social housing that could be sold off. Well, Gareth, you are a utopian. (laughs) Um, That is not gonna happen. Um, But yeah, look, um, there's a case for the government getting involved more in social housing, I think. I remember when I was growing up, they had a housing commission. Yep. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of poor people lived in housing commission houses and uh, they were all sort of gotten rid of and the whole public housing thing. But they were state government. Anyway, I mean, I, I think that there is a case for bringing back, bringing back some kind of housing commission
1: yeah. for people. Well, we've talked about this before. You need to do something holistic and, and having a body that uh, oversaw the whole thing would, wouldn't be a bad starting place. Um and, yeah, a lot of the, the housing problem is about supply, so that would be one way to do it, but I can't see us borrowing that sort of money. Yeah. Um, Nick uh, has a question about Minbos Resources, which is an ASX-listed fertiliser stock with a phosphate mine in Angola. Fertiliser stocks are in vogue at present. They sure are. However, I wonder whether you see any risk in this company having its mine in Africa rather than Australia. Shouldn't really make much difference in uh, Nick's mind. Alan, what do you reckon of that?
0: Oh well, fertiliser is a good thing, as you say. But uh, Angola, well, it's it's relatively stable in that in that they've they've had a they had a dictator for a very long time, and um, I think it was thirty eight years actually. Mm. And then and then he went, and another dictator took over. But look, um, you know, uh, African countries have coups all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's a. I mean, I, I don't know what you're saying, Nick. It shouldn't make a difference. It should be about the product that comes out of it, but it's not. I mean, we have mining companies in Australia that just won't do business in those sorts of places, but what's interesting is that they're starting to have to rethink that because the world's running out of stuff, so they need to – you can't rule out a place like Africa, Um, so it adds a level of risk that you want to be compensated for, is what I'd say, Nick. Yeah, Anthony says, "Just heard your interview with Alastair
0: Field of Sims. He said they do not recycle lithium. Lithium Australia does. Maybe you can interview them. How do lithium recyclers stack up against lithium miners? Uh, I did. I did interview Lithium Australia a while ago. Okay. I think it was about eighteen months ago. Right. So, you could, if you're interested, Anthony, you could look for that on the website. It is a bit old now, but Lithium Australia." Um, Look, they're a startup kind of. They are. Um, how can I put it? You know, they're getting somewhere, but look, uh,
1: they're they, um, uh, they're a little way off. I think the, the 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 you know the world needs more lithium quickly. It's going to come from mining rather than res- the recycling process, which, from what I gather, is in its embryonic. Sort of infant stages, yeah. um, but well, over time, it's it's like iron, right? That some steel will be made from iron ore, and some will be made from pig iron yeah. that's recycled. So there'll be a place for both over the long term. But in the short term, we're so short of the stuff. I think I think there was
0: there is going to be a business in in recycling yeah. these batteries for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that the uh, lithium is not the main thing in a lithium battery. The main thing is uh, nickel, nickel and graphite. Yeah. I interviewed another. Company this week called EcoGraph, which is a graphite business, and one of its arms, one of its businesses, is recycling lithium batteries for the graphite. Right, right, okay. Um, so if that's not its main business. Its main business is to, to actually make graphite, yeah, yeah, for batteries. But it's it's also got it's also using its processes to recycle the battery. So look, I think that there is going to be a business in recycling. Um, you know, Problem is part of the problem is that you don't get much
1: lithium out of a lithium battery device. no no i mean it's it's, it's going to be like this is the energy transition though it's going to require all sorts of smart solutions so sanar doesn't is a bit unhappy he says why does the money cafe appear to despise libertarianism alan's argument for scandinavian style taxes is sound however realistically governments have an underwhelming record of using taxes wouldn't a 10 percent tax Income tax, a 10% income tax, and a 40% GST, or rather consumption based tax, make for more fiscally responsible citizens? Uh, the answer is no. I don't think we should
0: talk about this too much, honestly. We're running out of time. But <laughs> okay. 40% GST, Santa, come on.
1: Uh, <laughs> know where he's coming from, but that's I'm not, I'm not sure that's how we're, we want the uh, country to work. Uh, Byron says, what are your thoughts on the
0: Simic buyout? I'm, a resist- I'm resistant to Hoctier's opportunistic attempt to mop up the Simic shares it doesn't already own. I estimate the shares to be worth much more than the 22 bucks being offered. Is it worth holding out and not tendering shares into the offer, or is this a done deal? I think it's a done deal,
1: Byron. Done deal, Byron. Uh, uh, I, th- I think of- you're right that they're probably worth more, but yeah. this was always going to happen. And, and
0: uh, owns more than 50% of the yeah. business to start with. So, this is where, we're, this
1: is where it know. was going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason, I, te- I hear you talk about house prices and how much they've gone up. And I hear old mate argue that it's not bad and it creates overall wealth. Is that well, you, you old mate? Maybe. Well, <laughs> one small detail I never hear about. No, I, I don't say you. that. I never said that. So okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I don't think housing creates wealth at all. It de- redistributes it. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to Jason's question. One small detail I never hear it's anyone. So, one dis-
0: question, Jesus, do we have to read it all out?
1: One small detail I never hear is anyone discuss what we're paying for $1 million these days. Fair enough, they say, how prices have doubled but, uh, and tripled, but for, you're paying the same price for a piece of land one third the size of what our parents were buying. Uh, I'd like to hear real statistics on what people were paying per square metre compared to the median wage 20 to 40 me- years ago.
0: Yeah, well, my son, who works for Channel 9, did a story on this and uh, recently, and he showed or found that the average house size or land size now is not a quarter of an acre, it's a ninth of an acre. Wow. Okay. So it's uh, Jason's absolutely right. Yes. So we talk about house prices and the median house price and all this stuff, but actually... <laughs> what you're buying is yeah. much less. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. Thanks very much for your excellent questions, everybody, and for Seb for dropping one in. Anyone else who lives in Hawthorne, please feel free <laughs> to drop a question into the short straw. Yeah. We'll
1: pick it up. And buy a coffee they'll while you're there. It.
0: Buy a coffee and mm. they'll uh, they'll save it for us. Thanks for listening uh, to The Money Cafe. Stephen May will be with me not next week, because I'm on holidays. Oh, good for you. For two weeks. Awesome. Okay. Uh, next week and the week after. So I'll be back in three weeks' time uh, with who? Greg? James, I guess. Me? Yeah. Good. Okay. Yep. I'll yeah. be there. Okay. So we'll be back in three weeks. If you've got any questions, send them into the Money Cafe at au. Uh, Oh, that's right. I need to say that Evan Lucas is going to be filling in while I'm away. Excellent. Great. So he will be uh, with Stephen next week. Yes. And then you the the week week after. after? And then me the week after that. So take all that back, everybody. I'll be back in three weeks with Stephen Mayne. In the meantime, Evan Lucas is filling in at the Money Cafe uh, with Stephen next week, James the week after. Until then... I'm Alan Kohler,
1: Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist to the Australian Financial Review. Thanks for having us.